Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I'm going to dry my nails when we start this episode. It's all about pampering yourself. Yeah, it's good to pamper yourself these days. That is very important for mental, emotional health. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to paint my nails, but, like, it, it brings a sense of normalcy to the world. <laughs> yeah, and a little bit of joy. A plus, little bit of joy. Plus, very importantly, the smell gets me high. Oh, good. So you're a little high right now. Oh, good. <laughs> Just a little bit. So we're in a good place. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's it's that and the, um, the, the nail polish remover that you painted on. <laughs> to get rid of the old color yeah uh, and this room is not super well ventilated given that we can't open the windows in the middle of winter so, so I, I'm, just, I'm feeling a little enjoy <sighs> our uh acetone high <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just uh I, I uh i try and do something nice for myself that feels normal like a face mask or a bath or you know that kind of thing once a week so I just painted my nails, and uh, they're blue. <laughs> that's one of the things that um, that I've heard a lot of people talk about as something that's uh, actually really important to keeping good mental health when the rest of the world is just craziness. Yeah. And, and that's um, trying to make sure that you're doing something ideally every day that feels normal mm-hmm. and trying to find some sort of routine, even if... You live a life like we do, where our normal routine requires being in public and seeing lots of people. So um, yeah. So so. So like we work out. So and we work out. I found paint that, our nails. I found that playing piano yeah. um, has been really good for that for me. Trying yeah. to um, get less terrible. What um, if, what if I want to know what our listeners? What have you guys learned over uh, the quarantine? Yeah. yeah. What have you? What is? Fa- what have either? What either? What I have forgotten how to talk during the quarantine, but uh, which is really problematic when you're hosting a podcast <laughs> and you're an actor normally. So this will be fun. Uh, no, but is have you learned a new skill or have you like picked something up that you used to do like a craft or um, have you read more? Like I've I've been uh, in a crafting group on. Thursdays kind of sporadically just because of my schedule but um yeah all these people have picked up knitting that haven't done it in years and uh like all these crazy things so what have you learned or what have you discovered during quarantine other than I don't want to be in quarantine anymore (laughs) which is also a good thing to discover actually I've seen um uh what's his name uh Sanjay Gupta has oh, been yeah. doing the like the talk show circuit because of the book that he recently mm-hmm. wrote where he talks about actually brain. our brain yeah. continues to be really good at developing and learning new things as we go through life. The trick is making sure that you force it to do something new yeah. as often as possible. Yeah. Like even just playing Scrabble or like doing a crossword like, yeah. is helpful, but really you should shake it up yeah. and like do he, different things. Yeah. He, he I want to read that book. One of the things he was saying, I don't remember who, who was giving the interview, but whoever it was said, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing the uh, New York times crossword puzzle for years, but now you're telling me that that's not good. <laughs> not helping and, my brain. and what he said was, no, that's, that's great. That's great. But your brain is learning how to do 
that. If you want to teach your brain how to learn, you can keep doing that. But, you know, um, you want to start doing the Sudoku every once in a while to make it try it flex a different yeah, muscle. Or bake bread. And, or, yeah, learn learn how to bake bread. Or, he also yeah. said that uh, working out, being physical, it doesn't have to be like lifting weights, yeah. but go for a hike, go for a bike ride. Yep. Do, that That's also super important because that sends impulses to your brain from your body saying, hey, I'm alive down here. You need to be too. Yeah. No, I want to check out that book and that has been our TED Talk. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> But really, I mean, it, I, I mean, I've had a rough week this week. I won't lie. Like, I know we're all chipper on here, but like, it's been a, it's been a tough week, especially if you're listening to us in America. Um, and you know why? Uh, we again, we won't go into it because we like that this is a distraction. And some of our reviews on Apple Podcasts I actually read today are like, it's a really nice distraction from the world right now because they Lovely. make me laugh. And uh, so I won't go into it. But like. Uh, we're not pretending that it's easy. I mean, you gotta you gotta find things that make you happy and yeah, and keep you keep you grounded in this um, crazy time. I I recommend. Uh, uh, I know we're super late to this game, but the Great British Bake Off. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we started that. <laughs> we like ripped through the first season, and we're now we're on the second. Well, the I don't know. The, it's, the it's seasons all in the wrong, are weird. It's all in the wrong order on uh, Netflix. If you've been watching it in England, you get it in the right order. Yeah. Um, in the UK, you get it in the right order. On Netflix, we're being punished. It starts with like <laughs> you get season five, and then season four, and then season <laughs> six, and then if you want to watch season three, you have to go watch a different thing. Plus, there's a holiday special that kind of confuses yeah, me. Yeah, but. Anyway, we are enjoying it. It is delightfully British. And yeah, I highly recommend the Great British Bake Off um, because it is a very nice escape of like just lovely, lovely people who are very talented because I can't bake. Good God, I can cook. I can't bake. <laughs> so I, I'm impressed by them. Yeah. In the next couple of weeks, I'm planning on attempting a couple of baking things. I'm, I'm so pretty excited decent. about I it. I know my way around a cheesecake, <laughs> but that's kind of the one thing I do. So I'm going to try to branch off, maybe do a couple of little breads or something. So if this is the last time you hear from us, it's because we died in the fire when I burned down the house. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, I was excited about this adventure into bread and pastry that you're going to go on, but now I'm a little nervous. So, and Trying I'm, new things should always make you nervous just a little it bit. Should scare Otherwise, little. you're not stretching yourself. Well, fuck yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Stretch yourself every day, even if it's just literally stretching yourself. Wow, we've been on like TED Talk tangent today. Yeah. TED Talk tangent. <laughs> that is my new warm up for Ted the tip talk of my tongue. Tangent. Ted, Ted talk, talk tangent. tangent. <laughs> That's actually really good. Ted talk tangent. Mm, Ted talk tangent. <laughs> be, uh, it'll probably be really helpful when I start adding the hi-hat into my beatbox routines. Oh, that's right. That's the one. That's when you're becoming a master yeah. at this. <laughs> that's the two of us. So, <laughs> we, You know... You got to keep progressing. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you missed that a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Ken wants to become a master beatboxer. It'll happen someday. Someday. There's still someday. Time. I, I look forward to your beatboxing skills, like in the nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> in fifty years, you're like, I promised myself. <laughs> I said I was gonna learn this skill.
unfortunately, I don't have teeth anymore. Maybe that, I wonder if that makes it easier or harder. It probably changes the sounds Very you different. can make. <laughs> now I'm just imagining like flappy lips. It's sort of a <laughs> moist beatbox. Ew. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so it just sounds like. Like Donald really Duck swearing. Farts. Oh, or Donald Duck swearing. Wet farts or Donald Duck swearing. Take your pick. Oh, Lord. <laughs> All right. Um, well, on that note. I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> I think I think we've hit a low. <laughs> so how about moving on to fun facts? I love fun facts. Yeah, let's do it. So fun facts. <laughs> uh, so these fun facts are um, are collected from the Encyclopedia Britannica online, uh, the website Mental Floss, oh. Biography.com, and as always, Wikipedia. Lyman Frank Baum was an American author best known for his children's books. Wait, am I reading Wizard of Oz? Yes, in its entirety. (laughs) Oh, God, here we go. (laughs) He wrote 55 novels, not including four lost unpublished novels, 83 short stories, over 200 poems, and at least 42 scripts. What? Of course, today he is best remembered as the guy who wrote the book that that Judy Garland movie is based on. I think I already gave that one away. No, uh, see, I like the uh, I like the Return to Oz, which is a creepy. <laughs> if you guys movie. haven't seen Return to Oz, I highly recommend adding that into your quarantine horror movies with with little what's her name, um, <laughs> little Feruza Balk from Dorothy. the craft. Oh my god, it's so good, you guys! It I saw it as a child, and that I'm explains a lot. By that movie it, it expo- freaks me the it hell out. It explains a lot, but it's fucking great. Anyway, sorry. So Lyman was born in upstate New York in 1856. Uh, he actually hated the name Lyman. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not a great name. No, I think he was named <laughs> after his uncle or something. Um, and he he hated it and he preferred to go by Frank, his middle name. So L. Frank. Uh, when he was 12, his family decided uh, that sending him to a military academy might be a good idea to knock some of that daydreamer out of him. Oh, Lord. <laughs> because apparently as a kid, he was a little head in the clouds. And- oh, and how... And he- Make that boy a man. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fuck that. Um, when he was twelve, so this is eighteen uh, sixties. This is this is uh, during the American Civil War. They sent him to military academy. Oh shit! <laughs> um, thinking that it would help him get more serious, they were wrong. You think? After two years of severe discipline suffered because of his bouts of childish fantasy, he had a psychogenic heart attack. <gasps> Basically, what that means is he was so stressed that he made himself have heart failure. Holy shit. A cardiac event. He's a teenager. He was 14. Oh, my God. Um, so his parents brought him home. Thank you. Clearly, this was not a boy meant for the military. Oh, my God. I probably would have been the same thing if I had gone to military school. As he uh, continued to, to grow up, he developed some, uh, we'll call them quirky hobbies. Um, he was an avid stamp collector and he developed a love of raising fancy poultry. Like pretty chickens? Like pretty chickens and turkeys and shit. Like the chickens and stuff that you see with the funny feathers and stuff? The ones that, the ones that look like 80s glam rockers. Oh, now I understand Belinda in, uh, Return to Oz. Yes. Her best friend's a chicken. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. It all makes sense. Um, he specialized in uh, a variety called Hamburg chickens. Oh. 
In fact, the first book he ever published was titled The Book of the Hamburgs, a brief treatise upon the mating, rearing, and managing of the different varieties of Hamburgs. Oh my God, it's like a farm farmology book. Yep. I don't know. Pharmological? Pharmaceutical? Mm, um, Pharmaceutical? <laughs> nope. All right. Well, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. So, quirky uh quirky little hobbies uh he also was super into the theater you know because he's a cool guy unsurprisingly uh in fact he was in and out of the theater professionally as an actor writer and director for most of his life all right Um, in the eight in 1880 his father helped him build a theater in the town where they were living and he wrote and acted in shows there um, one of his best early... Okay, the parents just redeem themselves. Yeah, right? <laughs> I guess after you give your 14-year-old a heart attack, you, you you're going like to build them a fucking theater. <laughs> <laughs> one of his uh, best early successes was a play with songs in it that he also wrote that helped forward the story. Please note that was before this was 46 years before Showboat came out, which is generally considered the first the American first... book musical. Oh, shit. Yeah. What was it called? Uh, uh, the show. It's generally known as The Maid of Aaron, A-R-R-A-N. That sounds um, like a Irish spelling of Aaron. So it's, the Maid of Aaron. It is, it is Irish because oh. the actual full title, which I think is nearly half the length of the play itself, is The Maid of Aran, an idyllic Irish drama written for the people irrespective of caste or nationality. Okay. Yeah. So that's the <laughs> so full title So he was also uh, doing uh, open ethnicity casting. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, anyone can be in it. Yeah. He actually toured with this production. And it went to Broadway. Wait, what? Like he toured with it as an actor. Okay. And and he did a, he did a stint on Broadway with this show that he wrote. Okay, musical theater <laughs> nerds out there, um, if you're listening, and I hope you are, because we have a lot of friends who are musical theater nerds. Um, did you know about this? What? Yeah, I had no idea. I've never um, heard this in any class. It's fabulous. While he was out touring with this production, his theater back home was running a drama that he had written called Matches. Okay. Like like, like um, strike matches. Like strike yeah. matches. Ironically, the theater burned down during this production. Oh no. <laughs> Whoopsie. Um, so he also has plenty of fascinating political and social beliefs. And of course, he wrote that little book with the witch and the slippers. But uh, <laughs> that's, wicked? That, yeah, wicked. Um, but that's a, a whole other story. We can go into that another time, like next time we read one of his stories. Um, but uh, for now, we're going to read a couple of his shorts. Okay. Yay. Um, these two stories that you're going to read, uh, Baum released uh, in his book, American Fairy Tales, in 1901. It included 12 short stories, and today you're going to read the first two of them. All right. Shall we start the fire? Let's start this fire. It snowed this week again, so I need it. <sighs> the first of two stories. The Box of Robbers by... The Box of Rubbers? 
Is this a children's story? Is it? Is a? Uh, it's an anti-child. Anti-child story. story. It was not popular with the Catholics. No. It's okay. Let's try this again. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you say we we um, put out the fire and stomp on that fire? And start it again. Fresh take. New marshmallows. Mmm, marshmallows. The Box of Robbers by L. Frank Baum. No one intended to leave Martha alone that afternoon, but it happened that everyone was called away for one reason or another. Mrs. McFarland was attending the weekly card party held at the Women's Anti-Gambling League. Wait, what? <laughs> it's an anti-gambling league, but they're playing cards? Well, I guess... <laughs> Oh. Oh no. <laughs> she goes, I'm attending the weekly card party held at the anti gambling league. Then she's going to go get tanked at the temperance meeting. Yeah, I was going to say, the <laughs> temperance. And then let's drink some bathtub gin. Like, I don't know. Maybe it'll explain itself. Sister Nell's young man had called quite unexpectedly to take her for a long drive. Oh, <laughs> on a date. Ooh. Papa was at Better the stay driving. Don't let him park. Yeah, I know. Long drive. <laughs> Box of rubbers. Told you. <clears throat> Papa. <laughs> we thought I was a, that was a, a, a whoopsie in my mouth, but it was apparently a... Uh... A whoopsie in your mouth is another way to <laughs> keep from having babies. Oh, oh no. <laughs> whoopsie in my mouth. <laughs> Oh, We're off to a great start. I'm going to start the whole thing over again. <laughs> no one intended to leave Martha alone that afternoon, but it happened that everyone was called away for one reason or another. Mrs. McFarlane was attending the weekly card party held by the Women's Anti-Gambling League. Sure. Sister Nell's young man had called quite unexpectedly to take her for a long drive. Papa was out at the office, as usual. It was Mary Ann's day out. As for Emmeline, she certainly should have stayed in the house and looked after the little girl. But Emmeline had a restless nature. Oh, shit. So they all just, like, left a child home alone? Sounds like. Um, so I get Emmeline must be the housekeeper. And uh, Martha, Mary, it sounds like Mary Ann is, like, the housekeeper because it's her day out. Got it. So we'll find out who Emmeline is, if she's, like, the nanny or something. Would you mind, miss, if I just cross the alley to speak a word to Mrs. Carlton's girl? She asked Martha. Course not, replied the child. You better lock the back door, though, and take the key, for I shall be upstairs. <laughs> I've okay. given this girl a very proper, like, I will be upstairs. Absolutely. Oh, I'll do that, of course, miss, said the delighted maid. There it is. Emmeline is the maid. Uh, so they have two maids. One has a day off, and they switch yeah. probably. She said, uh, said the delighted maid, and ran away to spend the afternoon with her friend, leaving Martha quite alone in the big house <laughs> and locked in into the bargain. Into the bargain? Locked, oh, locked in, in into, into the, the bargain. bargain. Yeah. Got it. All right, so I, I don't see she's how like, anything could possibly go nothing's wrong. Nothing's going to go wrong with this child locked isn't, in house. Isn't this how Home Alone starts? I don't think they tell him that they're going to leave, but he, he, yeah, kind of. 
The little girl read a few pages in her new book, sewed a few stitches in her embroidery, and started to play visiting with her four favorite dolls. Aww. Aww. Yeah, she's putting on a play with her dolls. I did that. I made the Barbies, like, dance. Um, have little tea parties. Have tea parties, and then, like, Ken would come over, and they'd kiss, and <laughs> stuff like that. Then she remembered that in the attic was a doll's playhouse that hadn't been used for months, so she decided she would dust it and put it in order. Filled with this idea, the girl climbed the winding stairs to the big room under the roof. It was well lighted by three dormer windows and was warm and pleasant. Around the walls were rows of boxes and trunks, piles of old carpeting, pieces of damaged furniture, bundles of discarded clothing and other odds and ends of more or less value. Every well-regulated house has an attic of this sort, so <laughs> I need not describe it. <laughs> that is true. You, you either know, have an attic or a basement like attic, that. Attic full of shit, you know. You either have an, if you have a house, you have an attic or a basement. If you have an apartment, you have like a closet that is just a fucking nightmare. Yep. Yeah. The doll's house had been moved, but after a search, Martha found it away over in a corner near the big chimney. She threw it out and noticed that behind it was a black wooden chest with Uncle Walt... <laughs> with Uncle Walter in it. That's not what it says. <laughs> that's where my head went. That is Whoa. Not, that's not what it says. She drew it out and noticed that behind it was a black wooden chest, which Uncle Walter had sent over from Italy years and years ago, before Martha was born, in fact. Mama had told her about it one day, and there was no key to it, because Uncle Walter wished it to remain unopened until he returned home. And how this wandering uncle, who was a mighty hunter, had gone into Africa to hunt elephants and had never been heard from afterwards. Because so you don't fucking poach elephants, asshole. I he hope probably, they ate you. He probably got stabbed. I I hope I hope uh, elephants like stabbed him or, or like hippo ate him or something. No poaching. The elephants now have Uncle Walter's head mounted <laughs> over their fireplace. I approve of this message. The little girl looked at the chest curiously, now that it had by accident attracted her attention. She's going to start Jumanji. Watch this shit. There's going to be some Jumanji shit in this, this box. So this, this book's... This books? This, this story this is... This story is going to be equal parts Home Alone and Jumanji. <laughs> cool. I want to see that movie. I would watch that movie. It was quite big, bigger even than Mama's traveling trunk, and was studded all over with tarnished brass-headed nails. It was heavy, too, for when Martha tried to lift one end of it, she found she could not stir it a bit. But there was a place in the side of the cover for a key. She stooped to examine the lock and saw that it would take a rather big key to open it. Then, as you may suspect, the little girl longed to open Uncle Walter's big box. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, though, whenever I find a locked box, the first thing I think oh, is, where's the key? Especially as a kid. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. the second something can't be opened, or, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a cat with a closed door. Yeah. It's like... What's in there? Oh, I can't go in? Well, then I'm going to find well, a way in. Well, then I want to go in. I'm going in. Then, as you may suspect, the little girl longed to open Uncle Walter's big box and see what was in it. For we are all curious, and little girls are just as curious as the rest of us. 
Um, I would argue Often they more are so. more. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue more so. I don't believe Uncle Walter will ever come back, she thought. Papa said once that some elephant must have killed him. There it is. <laughs> Victory. <laughs> Uncle. Maybe Uncle Walter's inside the box. Maybe Ooh. I was right. <laughs> Uh-oh. Papa said once that some elephant must have killed him. If only I had a key. She stopped and clapped her little hands together gaily as she remembered a big basket of keys on the shelf in the linen closet. <laughs> yes. They were of all sorts of sizes. Perhaps one of them would unlock the mysterious chest. She flew down the stairs, found the basket, and returned with it to the attic. Then she sat down before the brass-studded box and began trying one of key after another in the curious old lock. Some were too large, but most were too small. One would go into the lock, but it would not turn. Another stuck so fast that she feared for a time that she would never get it out again. But at last, when the basket was almost empty, an oddly shaped ancient brass key slipped easily into the lock. Uh-oh. This one was just, just right. right. With a cry of joy, Martha turned the key with both hands. Then she heard a sharp click. And the next moment, the heavy lid flew open on its own accord. Oh, shit. Jumanji. Oh, God. The little girl leaned over the edge of the chest an instant. And the sight that met her eyes caused her to start back in amazement. Slowly and carefully, a man unpacked himself from the chest and stepped upon the floor, stretched his limbs, and then took off his hat and bowed politely to the astonished child. What the fuck? <laughs> There's a person inside? Apparently. He, oh, he was tall and thin, and his face seemed badly tanned or sunburnt. So it's Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jumanji. This is Jumanji. Okay. Oh, then another man emerged from the chest, yawning and rubbing his eyes like a sleepy schoolboy. It's a box of robbers. The title. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. Rubbing his eyes like a sleepy schoolboy. He was of middle size, and his skin seemed as badly tanned as that of the first. While Martha stared open-mouthed at the remarkable sight of a third man crawled out of the chest, <laughs> he had the same complexion as his fellows, but was short and fat. All three were dressed in a curious manner. They wore short jackets of red velvet braided with gold and knee breeches of sky-blue satin with silver buttons. Over their stockings were laced wide ribbons of red and yellow and blue, while their hats had broad brims with high peaked crowns from which fluttered yards of bright colored ribbons. So they look like well, little toy soldiers, kind of. Or like or, matadors. Yeah, yeah. They had big gold rings in their ears and rows of knives and pistols in their belts. So or they're pirates. pirates. <laughs> okay, there we go. There it is. Their eyes were black and glittering, and they wore long, fierce mustaches curling at the ends like a pig's tail. Got it. Oh, so, my gosh. So they're a trio of, like, snidely whiplash melodrama robbers. robbers. Yeah, they're like, hey, here we go, kid. And there's the tall, skinny one, the average-built one, and, and the, the short, short fat, fat one. one. So we got the three stooges here. 
but the pirate version. My, but you are heavy, exclaimed the fat one when he pulled down his velvet jacket and brushed the dust from his sky blue breeches. And you squeezed me all out of shape. It was unavoidable, Luigi. Is it Luigi? <laughs> his name's Luigi. <laughs> so they're Italian, Italian. pirates. <laughs> I'm not even trying. <laughs> It was unavoidable, Luigi, responded the thin man lightly. The lid of the chest pressed me down upon you, yet I tender you my regrets. As for me, said the middle-sized man, carelessly rolling a cigarette and lighting it, you must acknowledge I have been your nearest friend for years, so do not be disagreeable. (laughs) (laughs) These guys, oh my God. Uh, you mustn't smoke in the attic, said Martha, recovering herself <laughs> at the sight of a cigarette. No smoking. <laughs> you might set the house on fire. <laughs> well, probably, I wonder if he wrote this after his theater got burned down. Uh-huh. The middle-sized man, who had not noticed her before at this speech, turned to the girl and bowed. Since the lady requests it, I shall abandon my cigarette. And he threw it on the floor and extinguished it with his foot. Who are you? asked Martha, who until now had been too astonished to be frightened. Permit us to introduce ourselves, said the thin man, flourishing his hat gracefully. This is Luigi, the fat man nodded. And this is Benny, the middle-sized man bowed. <laughs> and I am Victor. We are three bandits. Italian bandits. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. All I can see is... This um, is um, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Chevy Chase. Oh, my God. <laughs> and instead, Martin Short has a fat suit on, so he's nice and fat. Yeah. yeah. Like when he's playing What's-His-Name Glick. Um, oh, yeah. Jiminy Glick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm in. I'm I'm on it. Bandits, cried Martha with a look of horror. Exactly. Perhaps in all the world there are not three other bandits so terrible and fierce as ourselves, said Victor proudly. Tis so, said the fat man, nodding gravely. But it's wicked, exclaimed Martha. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed, replied Victor. We are extremely and tremendously wicked. Perhaps in all the world you could not find three men more wicked than those who now stand before you. (laughs) I think the voice I've given him definitely makes him scary. Yeah. (laughs) Too so, said the fat man approvingly. (laughs) But you shouldn't be so wicked, said the girl. (laughs) It's, it's naughty. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Victor... (laughs) Victor cast his eyes down and blushed. Naughty, grasped Benny with a horrified look. Tis a hard word, said Luigi sadly, and buried his face in his hands. Oh, she's offended them. A little thought, murmured Victor in a voice broken by emotion, ever to be so reviled and by a lady. These are the lamest bandits ever. Yet, perhaps you spoke thoughtlessly. You must consider, miss, that our wickedness has an excuse. For how are we to be bandits, let me ask, unless we are wicked? (laughs) (laughs) 
Martha was puzzled and shook her head thoughtfully. Then she remembered something. You can't remain bandits any longer, she said, because now you're in America. (laughs) America, cried the three all together. Certainly, you are on... Prairie Avenue in Chicago. Uncle Walter sent you here from Italy in this chest. (laughs) The bandits seemed greatly bewildered by this announcement. Luigi sat down in an old armchair with a broken rocker and wiped his forehead with a yellow silk handkerchief. Benny and Victor fell back upon the chest and looked at her with pale faces and staring eyes. When he had somewhat recovered himself, Victor spoke. "'Your Uncle Walter has greatly wronged us,' he said reproachfully. "'He has taken us from our beloved Italy, where bandits are highly respected.'" (laughs) Hey, hey, Italy, are you hearing this? "'And brought us to a strange country where we shall not know whom to rob or how much to ask for ransom.'" "'Tis so,' said the fat man, slapping his legs sharply. "'And we have won such fine reputations in Italy,' said Benny regretfully. (laughs) Uh, "'Perhaps Uncle Walter wanted to reform you?' suggested Martha. "'Are then there no bandits in Chicago?' asked Victor. (laughs) (laughs) "'Nope, nope, Nope, not at all.' "'Well,' replied the girl, blushing in her turn, We do not call them bandits. Well, then what shall we do for a living, required Benny disparagingly. Um, a great deal can be done in a big American city, said the child. My father is a lawyer. The bandit shuddered. (laughs) (laughs) A good, a good lawyer joke. That's great. At least they, they know what a lawyer is, though. Um, that immediately, I immediately went to in Hook. Oh. When they first arrive at um, Wendy's home, at Grandma Wendy's home, and she says, oh, and Peter, what what, what have you been doing with yourself? And his son is... He's like, he does this and he this. Does this and, and if he meets any resistance, blow him out of the water. Why, Peter, Peter you've, you've become, become a pirate. pirate. Well, then he goes to Neverland, and they're like, what? I'm not pa- Peter Pan. I'm a lawyer. Kill, Kill the, the lawyer! <laughs> if you haven't seen Hook, what are you doing with your life? Get on that now. Well, finish this episode. Finish and this, and then, then go, go watch, watch Hook. Hook. Oh, my God, this is hilarious. And my mother's cousin is a police inspector. <laughs> Ah, said Victor, that is a good employment. The police need to be inspected, especially in Italy. (laughs) Wow, this is super ahead of its time. (laughs) Reform, police reform, especially in Italy. Everywhere, added Benny. Then uh, you could do other things, continued Martha encouragingly. You could be motormen on trolley cars or clerks in an apartment store. Some people even become aldermen to earn a living. 
The bandits shook their heads sadly. We are not fitted for such work, said Victor. Our business is to rob. That's Mar- fair. Mar- yeah. Martha tried to think. It is rather hard to get positions in the gas office, she thought, but you might become politicians. <laughs> well, I would, I, honestly, I think I, that's the perfect place for that. I am so glad that that Mr. Bomb went to that joke because that's where I was yeah, going. Yeah. Run for office. No, cried Benny with sudden fierceness. We must not abandon our high calling. Bandits we have always been, and bandits we will remain. Tis so, agreed the fat man. That's his one line. Yeah, it's all he says. Even in Chicago, there must be people to rob, remarked Victor with cheerfulness. Victor Victor is sounding more and more like (laughs) Catherine Hepburn. (laughs) Well... You know, she she played a wide variety of roles. Martha was distressed. I th- think they all have been robbed. She <laughs> I mean, Chicago's rough and tumble, baby. Then we can rob the robbers, for we have experience and talent beyond the ordinary, said Benny. All right. Respect. Oh dear, oh dear, moaned the girl. Why did Uncle Walter ever send you here in this chest? The bandits became interested. That is what we would like to know, declared Victor eagerly. <laughs> <laughs> but no one will ever know, for Uncle Walter was lost while hunting elephants in Africa, she continued with conviction. Then... We must accept our fate and rob to the best of our ability, said said Victor. So long as we are faithful to our beloved profession, we need not be ashamed. <laughs> Too so, cried the fat man. <laughs> Brothers, we will begin now. Let us rob the house we are in. <laughs> oh, shit. See, it is. It's Home it's Alone. Home Alone. Home Alone means Jumanji. <laughs> Good, shouted the others, and they sprang to their feet. Betty turned, Benny, Betty, Betty White's in this story now. Oh, Lord. She was probably alive. Well, she was. Wait, no. No. No, okay. Not quite. She's not 120. (laughs) She does turn 99 this week. Um, So this, this story is now Jumanji, Home Alone, Hook, Three Amigos, Golden Girls. (laughs) Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> so I guess that means uh, well, the tall B guy Arthur is definitely B. Arthur. Is the tall one? Uh, Rue uh, is Rue McClanahan is the middle the one. The middle one. And, and Betty, and Betty White, White is, the is short Luigi. One. <laughs> Benny turned threateningly upon the child. Remain here, he commanded. If you stir one step, your blood will be on your own head. Then he added in a gentler voice, don't be afraid. That's the way all bandits talk to their captives. (laughs) But of course, we wouldn't hurt a young lady under any circumstances. (laughs) Of course not, said Victor. The fat man drew a big knife from his belt and flourished it about his head. Splood, he ejaculated fiercely. (laughs) 
words the fat man has said really have been tis so. And now he says splood, which means God's blood. Yeah. If you're ejaculating blood, you should really reach out and talk to your doctor because that's not. I'm healthy. guessing one of his brothers was sitting in the wrong spot when they were in that. He did complain type. about yeah. that. He did say he was getting squished. So yeah. I think something got moved to the wrong part. And Ooh. all right, Luigi. Splood, he ejaculated fiercely. Bananas, cried Benny in a terrible voice. Bananas? It's bananas. God's bananas. God's bananas. I want a banana. Mm, I like bananas. In a terrible voice. Confusion to our foes, hissed Victor. <laughs> well, if you're ejaculating blood and bananas, you're going to confuse you are, your foes. I am very confused, trust me. <laughs> and then the three bent themselves nearly double and crept stealthily down the stairway with cocked pistols in their hand. Cocked pistols. <laughs> with cocked pistols in their hands and glittering knives between their teeth. Okay, so they've got fabulous knives between their <laughs> cocked pistols. That's <laughs> a lot going on. Leaving Martha trembling with fear and too horrified to even cry for help. How long she remained alone in the attic, she'll never know. But finally, she heard the cat-like tread with cat-like tread <laughs> upon the very steel. <laughs> Oh, this absolutely needs to in, be an operetta. This just turned into a Gilbert and Sullivan-like song. She heard with cat-like tread upon the returning bandits and saw them coming up the stairs in single file. All bore heavy loads of plunder in their arms, and Luigi was balancing a mince pie on top of the pile of her mother's <laughs> best evening dresses. Victor came next with an armful of bric-a-brac, a brass candelabra, and a parlor clock. Benny had the family Bible. <laughs> sure. Okay, Benny. The basket of silverware from the sideboard, a copper kettle, and Papa's fur overcoat. Oh, joy, said Victor, pulling down his load. <laughs> That sounds about right. Yep. <laughs> oh, joy. <laughs> After pulling down your load. Yep. <laughs> it is pleasant to rob once more. <laughs> oh, ecstasy, says Benny. But he let the kettle drop on his toe and immediately began dancing around in anguish <laughs> while he muttered queer words in an Italian language. <laughs> so it's basically uh, Joe, Pesci, Joe Pesci in Home Alone. Yep. Like, fricka, 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 chicka, chicka, fricka. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, here we go. Yeah. So, well, or it's Donald Duck swearing. He's yeah. just he's just doing he's just doing moist beatboxing. <laughs> Little did we know. <laughs> that is what Italian sounds like sometimes. <laughs> if you're if you're swearing in Italian. Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. Um we have much wealth, continued Victor, holding the mince pie while Luigi added his spoils to the heap. And all from one house. This America must be a rich place. Oh, God. With a dagger, he then cut himself a piece of pie and handed the remainder to his comrades, whereupon all three sat upon the floor and consumed the pie while Martha looked on sadly. Because she wants some pie. She's like, what the fuck is going on? We should have a 
cave, remarked Benny, for we must store our plunder in a safe place. Can you tell us of a secret cave, he asked Martha. Um, there's a mammoth cave, she answered, but it's in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> you would be obliged to ride on cars a long time to get there. The three bandits looked thoughtfully and munched to their pies silently, but the next moment they were startled by the ringing of the electric doorbell, which was heard plainly even in the remote attic. "'What was that?' demanded Victor in a hoarse voice, as the three scrambled to their feet with drawn daggers. Martha ran to the window and saw it was only the postman, who had dropped a letter in the box and gone away again." but the incident gave her an idea of how to get rid of the troublesome bandits. So she began wringing her hands as if in great distress and cried out, It's the police! <laughs> the robbers looked at one another with genuine alarm, and Luigi asked tremblingly, Are there many of them? A hundred and twelve, exclaimed Martha. <laughs> wow, she counts quick. After pretending to count them. "'Then we are lost,' declared Benny, "'for we could never fight so many and live.' "'Are they armed?' inquired Victor, "'who was shivering as if cold. "'Oh, yes,' she said, "'they have guns and swords and pistols and axes and... "'And, and, and what?' demanded Luigi. "'And cannons!' <laughs> The three wicked ones groaned aloud, and Benny said in a hollow voice, I hope they will kill us all quickly and not put us to the torture. I have been told these Americans are bloodthirsty and terrible. Do so, gasped the fat man with a shudder. <laughs> Suddenly, Martha turned from the window. You are my friends, are you not? she asked. "'We are devoted,' answered Victor. <laughs> "'We adore you,' cried Benny. "'I would die for you,' added Luigi, thinking he was about to die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> "'Then I will save you,' said the girl. "'How?' asked the three with one voice. "'Get back into the chest,' she said. "'I will then close the lid so they will be unable to find you.' They looked around the room in a dazed and irresolute way, but she exclaimed, You must be quick! They will be here soon to arrest you! Then Luigi sprang into the chest and lie fat on the bottom. Benny tumbled in next and packed himself on the backside. Victor followed, followed after pausing to kiss her hand in a graceful manner. <laughs> then Martha ran up and pressed down the lid, but she could not make it catch. You must squeeze down, she said to them. Luigi groaned. <laughs> I am doing my best, miss, said Victor, who was nearly nearest to the top. But although we fitted in very nicely before, the chest now seems rather small for us. Tis so, came the muffled <laughs> voice of the fat man from the bottom. I know what takes up room, said Benny. What, inquired Victor anxiously. The pie, returned Benny. "'Tis so,' came from the bottom in faint accents. <laughs> then Martha sat upon the lid and pressed it down with all her weight. To her great delight, the lock caught, and springing down, she exerted all her strength and turned the key. This story should teach us there's a, there's a moral at the end. Yes, I love stories with morals. <laughs> 
This story should teach us not to interfere in matters that do not concern us. For had Martha refrained from opening Uncle Walter's mysterious chest, she would not have been obliged to carry downstairs all the plunder the Roberts had brought to the attic. <laughs> And have to explain why she ate an entire fucking pie by herself. The more you know. <laughs> oh my oh god. Lord. That was ridiculous. That was bonkers. Oh my god. And we have another one. We have another one. I like the ones where the stories do the comedy. Oh yeah. Look, <laughs> <laughs> I can't compete with that. Tis so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's funny. We'll talk about Splud and <laughs> this is funny at the end. <laughs> this one is called The Glass Dog woof, woof. by L. Frank Baum. An accomplished wizard once. T- <laughs> <laughs> we're off to a good start. So we've gone wicked. The last one was a bunch of wicked people, and now we're in a wizard. So we know where uh, Wizard of Oz came from. Yep. An accomplished wizard once lived on the top floor of a tenement house and passed his time in thoughtful study and studious thought. What he didn't know about wizardry was hardly worth knowing, for he possessed all the books and recipes of all the wizards who had lived before him, and moreover, he had invented several wizard mints himself. So this guy's a fucking badass wizard. This admirable person would have been completely happy, but for the numerous interruptions to his studies caused by folks who came to consult him about their troubles, in which he was not interested. (laughs) And whiny people. And by the loud knocks of the iceman, the milkman, and the baker's boy, the laundryman, and the peanut woman. (laughs) Who's the peanut woman? Mr. Peanut's wife. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, she's probably like... Looking for some marriage advice from the wizard. Yeah. (laughs) He never dealt with any of these people, but they rapped at his door every day to see him about this or that or try and sell him their wares. Just when he was most deeply interested in his book or engaged in watching the bubbling of a cauldron, there would come a knock at his door. And after sending the intruder away, he always found he had lost his train of thought or ruined his compound. This is why wizards live in houses in the middle of the forest. Yeah. yeah. Or like, yeah. they want time to do their work. Well, and because it's like, if if you've ever been cooking and someone distracts you and when you come back, you've burnt the roast or yeah. whatever, it's that's all a wizard does, except that... If a wizard burns the roast, he might like in the world might explode the house <laughs> or summon a demon or something. Yeah, that's that is very true. So he needs to move out of this apartment complex. Yeah. At length, these interruptions aroused his anger and he decided he must have a dog to keep people away from his door. He didn't know where to find a dog, but in the next room lived a poor glassblower with whom he had a slight acquaintance. So he went into the man's apartment and asked, Where can I find a dog? (laughs) (laughs) What sort of dog? inquired the glassblower. A good dog. One that will bark at people and drive them away. One that will be no trouble to keep and won't expect to be fed. One that has no fleas and is neat in his habits. You know, one that will obey me when I speak to him. In short, a good dog, said the wizard. 
Where can I find a dog? What kind of dog? I want good boy. I want good dog. But also, I don't want to feed it or walk it or take care of it. So, why doesn't he invent with his wizard skills, like, an alarm when people come up to the door that goes, fuck off, fuck off. Because this is a children's book and it would be inappropriate. Or just invent an alarm that barks. And put up one of those big beware of dog signs. Whatever, let's find out. Such a dog is hard to find, returned the glass blower, who was busy making a blue glass flower pot with a pink glass rose bush, (laughs) a rose bush in it. With a pink glass rosebush in it, having green glass leaves and yellow glass roses, the wizard watched him thoughtfully. Why can you not blow me a dog out of glass, he said presently. I'm going to take the high road and not make yeah, the blow me joke. I know. <laughs> Can't you blow me a dog? Why can you not blow me a dog out of glass? I, I love that I've just made this wizard like, what the fuck? Just do it. Do the thing. Hey. Just come on. He's no nonsense. <laughs> he asked presently. I can, declared the glass blower, but it would not bark at people, you know. <laughs> oh, I'll fix that easily enough, replied the other. <laughs> if I could not make a glass dog bark, I would be a mighty poor wizard. <laughs> Very well, if you can use a glass dog, I'll be pleased to blow you one. <laughs> Take the high road, take the high road. Take the high road, road. don't go there. Only you must pay me for my work. Take the high road, take the high road. Oh, you'll take the high road and And I'll I'll talk about low low jobs. And I'll get the laughs before you do. I'm sweating. (laughs) Because I'm trying to be an adult. Only you must pay me for my work. Certainly, agreed the wizard, but I have none of that horrid stuff you call money. <laughs> you must take some of my wares in exchange. Oh, so he's going to trade. So he's asking the artist to work for, for exposure. For, for free. <laughs> Fucking dick. This wizard's the worst. The glass blower considered the matter for a moment. Could you give me something to cure my rheumatism? <laughs> He asked. I mean, guess. I mean, that's legit. Oh, yes, easily. Then it's a bargain. I'll start the dog at once. What color of glass shall I use? Pink is a pretty color, said the wizard, and it's unusual for a dog, isn't it? Very, answered the glassblower, but it shall be pink. So the wizard went back to his studies, and the glassblower began making the dog. The next morning, he entered the wizard's room with the glass dog under his arm and set it carefully upon the table. It was a beautiful pink in color, with a fine coat of spun glass, and about its neck was twisted a blue glass ribbon. Its eyes were specks of black glass and sparkled intelligently, as do many of the glass eyes worn by men. The wizard expressed himself pleased with the glass blower's skill and at once handed him a small vial. This will cure your rheumatism, he said. But the vial is empty, protested the glass blower. Oh, no, there is one drop of liquid in it, was the wizard's reply. 
Will one drop cure my rheumatism? inquired the glass blower in wonder. Most certainly. It is a marvelous remedy. The one drop contained in this vial will cure instantly any kind of disease known to the hu- known to humanity. Oh shit. All right. This wizard's like fucking the shit. Uh, instantly cure any disease ever known to humanity. Therefore, it is especially good for rheumatism. But guard it well, for it is the only drop of its kind in the world, and I've forgotten the recipe. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Well, that was careless. Whoopsie. Gotta write that shit down. Yeah, I would, uh, I would get the dog to start barking, and then I would go back and look that one up again. Thank you, said the glass blower, and went back to his room. The wizard cast a whizzy spell and mumbled several learned words in the wizardry's language over the glass dog. <laughs> Whereupon the little animal first wagged its tail from side to side and then Aww. winked his left eye knowingly and at last began barking in the most frightful manner. That is, when you stop to consider the noise came from a pink glass dog. <laughs> This is something almost astonishing in the magic arts of wizards, unless, of course, you know how to do the things yourself when you are not expected to be surprised at them. The wizard was as delighted as a school teacher at the success of his spell, although he was not astonished. Immediately, he placed the dog outside his door, where it would bark at anyone who dared to knock and so disturb the studies of the master. The glassblower, on returning to his room, decided not to use the one drop of wizard cure-all just then. My rheumatism is better today, he reflected, (laughs) and I will be wise to save the medicine for a time when I am very ill, when it will be more of a service to me. So he placed the vial in his cupboard and went to work, blowing more roses out of glass. Presently, he happened to think the medicine might not keep, so... He started to ask the wizard about it, but when he reached the door, the glass dog barked so fiercely that he dared not knock, and returned in great haste to his own room. Indeed, the poor man was quite upset at so unfriendly a reception from the dog he had himself so carefully and skillfully made. (laughs) The next morning, as he read the newspaper, he noticed an article stating that the beautiful Miss Midas, the richest young lady in town, was very ill, and the doctors had given up hope on her recovery. The glassblower, although miserably poor, hard-working, and homely of feature, was a man of ideas. He suddenly recollected his precious medicine and determined to use it to better advantage than relieving his own ills. He dressed himself in his best clothes, brushed his hair, and combed his whiskers, washed his hands, and tied his necktie, blackened his hose, and sponged his vest, and then put the vial of magic cure-all in his pocket. Getting all spiffied up. Yeah, getting all spiffy. Next, he unlocked his door, went downstairs, and walked through the streets to the grand mansion where the wealthy Miss Midas resided. The butler opened the door and said, no soap, no chromos, no vegetables, no hair oils, no books, no baking powder. My young lady is dying and we're well supplied for the funeral. <laughs> Jeez. The glassblower was grieved at being taken as a peddler. 
my friend, he began proudly, but the butler interrupted him, saying, No tombstones either. There's a gr family graveyard and the monument's built. The graveyard won't be needed if you will permit me to speak, said the glassblower. No, doctor, sir. They will not be... <laughs> They've given up on my young lady, and she's given up on the doctors, continued the butler calmly. I'm no doctor, returned the glassblower. Nor the others, but what is your errand? I called to cure your young lady by means of a magical compound. <laughs> Step in, please, and take a seat in the hall. I'll speak to the housekeeper, said the butler more politely. So he spoke to the housekeeper, and the housekeeper mentioned the matter to the steward, and the steward consulted the chef, and the chef kissed the lady maid and sent, <laughs> and sent her to see the stranger. Thus are the very wealthy hedged around the ceremony, even when dying. <laughs> when the lady maid heard from the glassblower that he had a medicine which would cure her mistress, she said, I am glad you came. <laughs> but he said... If I restore your mistress to health, she must marry me. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I'll make inquiries and see if she's willing, answered the maid, and went at once to consult Miss Smidas. The young lady did not hesitate an instant. I'll marry an old thing rather than die, she cried. Bring him here at once. So the glassblower came, poured the magic drop into a little water, gave it to the patient, and the next minute, Miss Midas was as well as she had ever been in her life. Hey, cool, it worked. Dear me, she exclaimed, I have an engagement at the Fritter's reception tonight. Bring my pearl-colored scarf, Marie, and I will begin my toilette at once. And don't forget to cancel the order for the funeral flowers and your morning gown. <laughs> Oh, also, I'm not dying, so we won't be needing any of that. Yeah. But Miss Midas remonstrated, remonstrated? The glassblower, who stood by, you promised to marry me if I cured you. I know, said the young lady, but we must have time to make a proper announcement in the society papers and have the wedding cards engraved. Call, call tomorrow, we'll talk it over. <laughs> The glassblower had not impressed her favor ably as a husband, and she was glad to find an excuse to get rid of him for a time. And she did not want to miss the fritter's reception. Oh, heavens forbid. Not the fritter's reception. I do like a good fritter. Uh, I'm hungry, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Yet the man went home filled with joy, for he thought his stratagem had succeeded, and he was about to marry a rich wife who would keep him in luxury forever afterwards. Yeah, good luck with that. Mm -hmm. The first thing he did on reaching his room was to smash his glass-blowing tools and throw them out the window. Oh, um, okay, buddy. Not, not smart. I disapprove of that choice. Then he sat down to figure out ways of spending his wife's money. <laughs> okay, buddy. The following um, day, he called... What are they? That's a uh, cart before the horse? Just a little That's bit. That's some serious cart before the Just horse. Just a little bit. The following day, he called upon Miss Midas, who was reading a novel and eating chocolate creams as happily as if she had never been ill in her life. Where did you get the magic compound that cured me? She asked. 
from a learned wizard, said he, and then thinking it would interest her, he told her how he had made a glass dog for the wizard and how it barked and kept everybody from bothering him. <laughs> how delightful, she said. I've always wanted a glass dog that could bark. But there is only one in the world, he answered, and it belongs to the wizard. You must buy it for me, said the lady. Oh, no. The wizard cares nothing for money, replied the glassblower. Then you must steal it for me, she retorted. Oh. I can never live happily another day unless I have a glass dog that can bark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. She's this turning more and, more and more Paris Hilton-y. Oh, oh yeah, I've absolutely turned her into Paris Hilton, and it's and now the glass dog is like that little chihuahua she used to carry around in a fucking purse. <laughs> the glass blower was much distressed at this, but said he would see what he could do, for a man should always try and please his wife, and Miss Midas had promised to marry him within a week. On his way home, he purchased a heavy sack, and when he passed the wizard's door and the pink glass dog rang out to bark at him, he threw the sack over the dog, tied the opening with a piece of twine, and carried him away to his own room. It's like uh, he's he's just turned into one of the Italian bandits now. Yeah, now he's, he's a he's Goddamn a horse thief. Yep. The next day, he sent the sack by a messenger boy to Miss Midas with his compliments, and later in the afternoon, he called upon her in person, feeling quite sure he would be received with gratitude for stealing the dog she had so greatly desired. But when he came to the door and the butler opened it, what was his amazement to see the glass dog rush out and begin barking at him furiously? "'Call off your dog!' he shouted in terror." I can't, sir, answered the butler. My young lady has ordered the glass dog to bark whenever you call here. You'd better look out, sir, he added, for if it bites, you may have glassophobia. <laughs> what the fuck's glassophobia? Well, I suppose that would be a fear of glass. Well, yes, but he's a glass blower. I'm guessing he doesn't have fear of glass. No, I, I, I but I'm think guessing if a glass dog bites you, you'd probably have a fear probably of glass. develop a fear of glass. Yeah, this so frightened the poor glass blower that he went away hurriedly. But he stopped at a drugstore and put his last dime in the telephone box so he could talk to Miss Midas without being bitten by a dog. <laughs> Get, give me pelf six seven four two. He called. Hello, what is it? said a voice. I want to speak with Miss Midas, said the glass blower. Presently, a sweet voice said, This is Miss Midas, what is it? Why have you treated me so cruelly and set the glass dog on me? said the poor fellow. Well, to tell you the truth, said the lady, I don't like your looks. <laughs> your cheeks. Change your mind. Yeah. Your cheeks are pale and baggy, your hair is coarse and long, your eyes are small and red, your hands are big and rough, and you are bow-legged. <laughs> but I can't help my looks, pleaded the glass blower. and really you promised to marry me. If you were better looking, I'd keep my promise, she returned. <laughs> This woman's the worst. Oh, no. But under the circumstances, you are no fit mate for me. And unless you keep away from my mansion, I'll set my glass dog on you. What a meow. I shall set the glass dog on you. Then she dropped the phone. She dropped the phone and would have nothing more to say. 
The miserable glassblower went home with a heart bursting with disappointment and began tying a rope to the bedpost in which to hang himself. Someone knocked at the door, and upon opening it, he saw the wizard. I've lost my dog, he announced. (laughs) (laughs) Have you indeed, replied the glassblower, tying a knot in the rope. Yes, someone has stolen him. That's too bad, declared the glassblower indifferently. You must make me another, said the wizard. But I cannot. I've thrown away my tools. Then what shall I do, asked the wizard. I do not know unless you offer a reward for the dog. But I have no money, said the wizard. Offer some of your compounds, then, suggested the glassblower, who was making a noose in the rope for his head to go through. The only thing I can spare, replied the wizard thoughtfully, is beauty powder. (laughs) What? cried the glassblower, throwing down the rope. Have you really such a thing? That's convenient. How amazing. Yes, indeed. Whoever takes the powder will become the most beautiful person in the world. If you will offer that as a reward, said the glassblower eagerly, I'll try and find the dog for you. Um, for above everything else, I long to be beautiful. <laughs> but I warn you, the beauty will only be skin deep, said the wizard. Well, that's all right, replied the happy glassblower. When I lose my skin, I shan't care to remain beautiful. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I can't wait for the moral of this story. Oh, Lord. Then tell me where to find my dog and you shall have the powder, promised the wizard. So the glassblower went out and, prete- uh, and pretended to search, and by and by he returned and said, I've discovered your dog. Uh, You will find him in the mansion of Miss Midas. The wizard went at once to see if it were true, and sure enough, a glass dog ran out and began barking at him. Then the wizard spread out his hands and chanted a magic spell, which sent the dog fast asleep. When he picked him up and carried him to his own room on the top floor of the tenement house... Afterward, he carried the beauty powder to the glassblower as a reward, and the fellow immediately swallowed it and became the most beautiful man in the world. The next time he called upon Miss Midas, there was no dog to bark at him, and when the young lady saw saw him, she fell in love with his beauty at once. "'If only you were a count or a prince,' she sighed, "'I'd willingly marry you.' "'But I am a prince,' he answered." The Prince of Dog Blowers. (laughs) Oh, no. High road. 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 If you get to entitle yourself the prince or king of something, don't entitle yourself the prince of the dog blowers or any blowers. Oh my god that one kind of hurt <laughs> oh jesus ah she said then if you are willing to accept an allowance of four dollars a week i'll order the wedding cards engraved the man hesitated but when he thought of the rope hanging from his bedpost he consented to the terms so they were married and the bride was very jealous of her husband's beauty and led him a dog's life so he managed to get into debt and made her miserable in return. 
And here is the moral of this story. As for the glass dog, the wizard sent him barking again by means of his wizardness and put him outside his door. I suppose he is there yet, and I am rather sorry, for I should like to consult the wizard about the moral of this story. <laughs> oh my god! That's oh, that so, so fucking good! Dumb. moral everyone in the story is kind of fucked up <laughs> like like they all have pretty flawed flawed issues um <laughs> so i would uh, like to ask the wizard what the fuck is this about <laughs> all right um those were so delightful that was great fun hey, oh my god thanks lyman you did good. Yeah, thanks, Lyman L. Frank Baum. Oh my God, those are so cute. Like, <laughs> and again, like I love when the comedy is just. St- yeah. <laughs> my face hurts from smiling because like the stories are so adorable <laughs> and ridiculous. Oh, I I enjoy you. There's there is, it doesn't take place in the high fantasy world of oz uh-huh. but you, there are a lot of things in both of those stories that are very very ozian yeah very I mean, of that you've world. got you've got an inanimate object animal that has been brought, brought to, to life, life like the tin man like much like the tin man um you've got wizard you've got a wizard you've got your gatekeeper got, uh, that that yeah stick yeah um uh you've got the 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 lock and key yeah um, that's a huge part of Return to Oz. Yeah. Like, huge part. Yeah. Yeah, well, in that first story, you have the young, the preteen girl who yeah. is your protagonist. Who's, yeah, she's, yeah, because Dorothy's supposed to be, like, nine or ten. Yeah. Even though Judy Carlin was definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, that's, uh, that's really great. I enjoyed those very much. Those were very fun. I think we all needed those stories this week. Yeah. <laughs> they were very light and and ridiculous <laughs> and now i'm in i'm intrigued i'm intrigued by more of these stories yeah well he wrote a bunch a of them <laughs> so we got we got fuck time. we got a whole bunch to go through and you all have a film list from this episode you need to watch return to oz if you have not seen it and you need to watch hook if yep. you have not seen it and if you've seen it you should go back and rewatch them especially if you haven't seen them since you were like young yeah i still am obsessed with that movie when i was a kid i wanted to be that dorothy which explains a lot about me <laughs> you, you wanted to be feruza balk instead I of really Judy Garland. i really I'm did i'm trying to put together a theory on humanity that is something to the effect of there are two types of people in this world you want to be Judy Garland or you want to be Feruza Balk? <laughs> Dorothy one or Dorothy two? <laughs> door one, door two, Dorothy one, Dorothy two. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, because I don't know. She gets to come back anyway. I don't want to go into nah, details on this matter. fucking movie. Yeah. If you want to watch either of those movies and let us know, or if you just want to send us a message, um, you can email us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com, or you can visit our website, which is www.campfireclassicspodcast, all one word, dot com. And you can find us on all your listening places and uh we're on instagram facebook all the social medias we guess the TikTok, <laughs> which is actually a character, character in, return in to fucking return to us yep. <laughs> holy crap all right it all came full circle yep. all right 
Uh, we love you guys. Um, so thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have you here. We'll see you next Tuesday. This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Linda, what? Are you... I don't remember that dog. That...